you have a Bible, and I hope you do, please open up to the book of Psalms, chapter 46. Psalm 46. For many of you who have been in church for a long time, this will be a familiar passage. But as a brother uh, reminded us today as we were talking about our community groups, God always has a word for us in his word. Psalm 46, starting in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. This is the word of God. We've all been there, a lot of us recently, where sometimes things are just hard. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, much less six months from now. We continually are surprised by what's in the news every time we open the paper or scroll through a social media feed. The world's an interesting place right now. If that's not the case for you and you're having the year of your life, congratulations, you're one of about five people that I've talked to who are having that kind of year. A lot of people are struggling. I've talked to more Christians personally this year who have just said, I've just had hard days. Sometimes something wasn't even particularly wrong, and I've just found myself discouraged. One of my favorite movies is It's a Wonderful Life. Have you seen this movie? It's the greatest Christmas movie ever made, and I will not take others. At the very beginning, as an angel is about to be sent to check on our dear friend George Bailey, the angel asks what's wrong with him. And he, he lists all these different things that could be. And the one he's talking to in the sky says, it's worse. He's discouraged. It's hard to be discouraged. Isn't it? Have you ever been there? Maybe today you're like, man, I'm already encouraged. I don't need this right now. I don't need to dwell on that. But it's a reality we face in life, whether Christian or not. This morning I was scrolling through my social media feed and I actually saw a clip from Saturday Night Live. Some of you are like, did he just go from the Bible to It's Wonderful Life to Saturday Night Live? Yes, try to keep up. During their regular skit, Weekend Update, uh, one of the stars, Kate McKinnon, 
broke character for a moment. If you don't know about Saturday Night Live, it's a skit show. They embody these characters and they try to make you laugh. A lot of it's ridiculous. It's usually after I'm asleep because I go to bed early. But Kate McKinnon, one of the stars for years now, uncharacteristically breaks character. And her co-star, Colin, noticed and actually broke character as well and said, Kate, called her by name, not by her character's name, and said, are you okay? She responded, obviously I'm not. On live TV, national audience, the reason it made its way to my social media feed is people were resonating with it. People said, yeah, things aren't normal. It's not okay. We can't just keep going through the motions and pretending everything's fine. The star of the show continued. She said, I'm sorry, you guys. It's such a crazy time. She explained that the character she was playing was a nice way to escape, was her words. She listed uncertainty about the election, about the pandemic, and even just generally what will happen in the world. She said these things. Then she gathered herself for a moment, and she said, the one thing we do know is that, no, we don't know. Her co-star jumped in and finished, don't worry, we can figure this out, we can do this. And while so many people I'm reading on social media this morning found even encouraging to hear that, my heart was broken. That's not encouraging. I'm, I love the real human moment of saying, I'm not okay. I welcome that. I, I would rather you be honest with me. When I ask you how you are, if you want to tell me you've had a bad day, I'm the person who will listen to you and talk to you. I don't just want you to say, fine, how are you? Okay? Love that this uh, Hollywood star did this in a live moment. But to have the kind of resolution be, we'll figure it out, After this year, what are we going to figure out? Is there not a more encouraging word? Is there not a message that we can tell ourselves and share with others? Many of you know that Saturday Night Live is not a Christian program. But it revealed to me, it helped me see that people who do not know the Lord our God in Christ do not have the tools to face the real world. And if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, I hope that you will be encouraged by the picture that this psalm gives us of a good, gracious, mighty God who is our refuge and strength. Because there is a better word. He has given us a better word. He gives us in writing in the Bible, but also he's given us a word in his son, whom he sent to us to rescue us and to give us hope and life now and forever. There is hope in this world, people. Church, we're going to be okay. As I often do when I get to preach to you, I'm going to work back through the passage, and we'll see that this naturally breaks into three sections. If you just even scan your eyes over the chapter, you see that there are three uses of the words selah, which is kind of this break, pause for either instrumental or for praise. Um, but it, it naturally breaks up the passage into three kind of different sets. And we'll take a look at it that way together. And I hope today that God's word 
will encourage you with who he is and what he's done. The first section, verses 1 through 3. I hope that we see that even when the world is in chaos, the Lord is God. Even when the world is in chaos, the Lord is God. Verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. A lot of you have probably heard that verse before. Some of you may be so often that you don't even stop and think about it anymore. But this is a great statement. And verses 2 and 3 actually just follow it and support it. Because notice it says, first word of verse 2, therefore. If you've never heard it, anytime you see therefore in Scripture, you need to go back in front of it and see what it's there for. Okay? Just a pro tip for reading the Bible. Verse 1 is what it's there for. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So this word refuge, it's one that we sing a lot and that I feel like is a poetic word that gets used, but it's not something I hear day to day so much anymore. So what does that mean? Looking at it, the word to me most resonates when I think of the word shelter. If I dumped you off on a desert island, what are the first things you would have to do? Some of you know. You want to find water, shelter, fire. Some people say fire, shelter. Depends who you're talking to. Point is, shelter is important. We all need shelter. We don't last very long as people without shelter. Turns out when you're like me and you're super pale, if you're in the sun for like an hour, you're already fried. So if it takes longer than that, you're in big trouble. We need shelter from the elements. We need a refuge, a place we can go for safety and security, right? A lot of you have lived through many storms and hurricanes here in Charleston. Usually, you go to a place, either in your home, a refuge in your home, a shelter in your home or under your home, or to a building that you know is sturdy so that you feel safe. Usually, we aren't just running out to our little you know, tin shed to be like, I'll just sit out here for the storm not going to be good. We need a strong refuge. And notice the next word there is God is our strength. Our refuge and strength. Why would we need strength? Some of you are pretty strong. Now, I'm not one of those people. Sorry, I know you get used to seeing Joshua up here who's all broad-shouldered and buff. Some of us aren't blessed that way slash don't have the discipline to lift weights. But God is our strength, which is good news, because guess what? On an eternal level, we are very weak. I often tell people, in Christ, we do not have to fear Satan. We do not have to fear the sins of the world. We don't have to fear the sins of our own flesh. But I promise you, in our own strength, we are weaker than all three of these things. We are not equipped for that fight. We need God's strength. Now, for some of you, that's super insulting. I know, because your whole life you're told, you're enough, you just try hard enough, you can overcome things. This is not that place, okay? I'm not here to give you the motivational speech like that. I promise it's better news that the Lord is our strength. He is our strength. Our salvation depends upon Him and who He is and what He's done, not on works that I have done. Not on my hands. And that's good news. Now, we actually skipped a word there that I think is really important. Did you notice it says God is our refuge and strength? A lot of times when we read the Bible, we're reading it for personal application, which is good. That's not a bad thing. But if we only do that, we can miss it. There's a communal aspect to this. Our says all of God's people. 
He is our refuge and strength together. I'm so glad that we've been able to gather again these past few months and that so many of you are here today because it encourages me. I know that's selfish. I hope it encourages you. But we're meant to gather together. We're meant to do this together. Christians aren't meant to be Lone Ranger Christians. You don't find that in Scripture. We are part of God's people. Right here we see it. God is our refuge and strength. And then this is summarized in a whole different phrase. In the next line, it says, A very present help in trouble. A very present help in trouble. I know on many hard days, the Lord seems distant. Sometimes you may cry out to the Lord, you may pray to him, you may even, when you're sitting in here, feel like you're singing to the ceiling or just to a screen. But I promise you, the Lord our God is with us. He is present in those hard moments. One of the great truths that the Spirit tells us in our hearts and affirms in us is when we reach rock bottom, the Lord is down there with us. His grace is deeper than our deepest depths. Some of you have experienced that in your own life. He is our very present help in trouble. Now notice in verses 2 and 3, don't worry, we're not going to take every single word, go this slow, through the whole chapter. In verses 2 and 3, we get kind of the backing of this. is therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Does this language seem familiar to anybody who reads the Bible? Because it should. It's actually calling us back to the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1. God is forming the land, separating the land from the sea. And here we're seeing a reversal of that. We're seeing the undoing of creation. Now, I'm going to be honest. Every year I've lived in Charleston, there's been a hurricane threat. Every time, I'm a little nervous. Some of y'all have lived here for 50, 70,000 years or something. I didn't want to call out just the oldest person. I just wanted to give it. Okay. Some of you have been here through those things. They don't bother you as much. For me, I live on James Island. When that water starts rising up over Harborview, I'm looking at Laura going, should we still be here? It's scary. It should be scary because it reminds us that we're small and that ocean is big. And if mountains are giving way and, and all of creation is being undone, then we are certainly reminded that we need a refuge. We need strength. We need very present help in trouble. And our God is all of those things to us and more. pause for a moment because the next word is selah which we already mentioned some commentators say it means pause some say it means an instrumental some say it means a time of praise regardless i think if you stop at all there and think about what's been said you can pause and take a deep breath and say whatever trouble i'm facing even though this world is in chaos the lord is god he is our refuge and our strength. He is our very present help in this time of trouble. If you know Christ, you know that. 
in verses 4 through 7, we find a second scene. In that first scene, we kind of saw all of creation being undone. In this next scene, we're going to see um, a picture of a city being overrun. And what I hope we see here is that even when his people are overrun, the Lord is God. The Lord is God. Verse 4 says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. Now, a lot of you read this and say, what city is he talking about? Is he talking about Jerusalem? Well, we can automatically rule that out because there's no river in Jerusalem. Go check a map. That's real. No river in Jerusalem. So most likely this is talking about what's called Zion. This is the first of many hymns that are referred to as the Zionist hymns. But regardless, it's painting a picture of the city in which God dwells, which one day will be the new Jerusalem coming out of the sky that we will dwell with him forever, right? It says, make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. So God lives in this city, and that's the main thing we need to know. Verse 5, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. I love that in those two lines of poetry, God is the first word and is the subject He is in the midst of her. He exists. He's dwelling. But then also, God will help her when morning dawns. Now, what's going on at this city? Verse 6 says, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. You know, one thing I love about Christianity, one thing I love about the gospel, is that believing the gospel enables us to be honest about the reality of this world, both in our own hearts and in the world, but without falling into despair. We can talk about the fact that evil exists and is scary and is awful and is heartbreaking. We can talk about injustice. I can talk about the chaos my own sin causes in my own life. And perhaps you can do the same. But not in such a way that we just wallow in despair and say, woe is me for the rest of our lives. In such a way that we feel regret and repentance but that we are restored to God because of who Jesus is and what he's done through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. If you do not know Christ and you're here today, you say, what are you talking about being being honest about these things? My question to you would be, if there is a God, and I believe there is, and if that God is holy, do you believe you're prepared to stand before him? Do you believe that you've done everything perfectly correct in your life? I have very few friends, different religions, who would say, man, I'm just perfect. I've never done anything wrong. If you're doing that, congratulations, you're a liar, because you just lied, so you've done something wrong. Truth is, though, because we've all done things wrong against God, against our neighbors, we stand condemned before a holy God, and we need a mediator. And that is why Jesus came to the earth to live the sinless life that we could not. To die the death bearing God's wrath for us that we should have died. And he was dead three days and then he came back to life as we've been singing all morning. And he is alive now at the right hand of the Father as the mediator for all who will repent of sin, turn away from sin and trust in him. If you do not know him, would you turn to him today? If you're longing for hope, I promise it's only found in him. 
any other philosophy, any other religion will try to either smooth over the evil of this world or ignore it and say there's nothing we can do about it as the way things are. In the gospel, we can be honest about the terrors and the evil of this world, but also have hope in Jesus Christ. Notice it says the nations rage, the kingdoms totter, and then it says he, talking about God, he utters his voice, the earth melts. What a picture. Remember in the first section, we saw the language of Genesis 1 and creation being undone? Here we see something that's never happened. The earth melts. Tell me, who here is strong enough and brave enough that if everything around us, all the foundation of the earth that we're standing on, started melting, you would just be like, we're going to be okay. We got this. I can honestly tell you, I don't know what I'd do. Because if the ground beneath us is melting, what are we to do? The good news is, it's God speaking and making this happen. So if we are his people, we have nothing to fear. He is doing this because the nations rage, because the kingdoms totter. And notice the power there. Where does it come from? How does he reveal it to us? His word. His voice. How did God create the heavens and the earth? He spoke it. Can you speak things into existence? Nope. Only God has that power. Do we understand the power of God's word? Do we understand what an encouragement that could be to us if we knew that the power of God is in his word? Even if we say, yes, we agree with that, we know, that's all we're here, we're at a church that preaches the Bible, yes, pastor's going to tell us to preach the Bible, he does this every time, cool, cool, cool. And yet, you might wake up tomorrow and go, oh, I need to sleep 15 more minutes, I'll, I'll do my Bible reading later. No, no, don't be silly. Run to God's word. So often we feel overwhelmed because we're not running back to God as our refuge and our strength. We're not going back to his word where there is power. And yes, we experience that individually, but also corporately. We come and we sing his word, and we pray his word, and we read his word, and we hear it preached, and we see it in the ordinances of the Lord's Supper and in baptism. And honestly, as God in his kindness draws us to repentance and encourages our hearts and stirs us to love and to good works, we experience the power of his word together as a church so that we go from this place as his people not just as a person trying to figure out his word do we believe all that though not just do we agree and would sign off on it but but does that show up in what we desire in church i i like what david platt says in his book radical he says what if we took away the cool music and the chairs what if the screens are gone and the stage is no longer decorated? What if the air conditioning is off and the comforts are removed? Would his word still be enough for his people to come together? I hope so. I can say I've experienced that before in a church. Actually, when we were, my wife and I were serving in Mobile, we had a day that we got there and the AC was broken. 
totally broken. Not somebody can go back and put in one spark plug or something. We had to get AC repair. It took a long time. But we had baptism scheduled for that day. A young boy named Ryan. I say young boy. He was a teenager. And I talked to the deacon. I talked to other church leaders. And I was like, should we try to get the AC fixed and meet later in the day? Well, you know, what should we do? I'm, I'm still a young guy. I was younger then and didn't know what to do. And that church encouraged me so much. They said, we don't need air conditioning. We'll be sweaty. It'll be fine. We'll sing and we'll, and we'll preach and, and we'll baptize this young man. And we'll gather together. Now, I'm going to be honest with y'all. Just the question about AC is enough for me to go, should we? All these other things. What would cause you to stop going to worship? If it's a church where the word is proclaimed in so many facets, as we've already said, is that not enough for us, church? I hope it is. I promise you that if you don't think it is for you, that his word is enough. Through his word, God grows and sustains his people. He calls and convicts. He forms us to the image of his son. And how kind of him to give us multiple translations in our own language when there are still people in this world who don't have the Bible in their own language. It's a kindness that he gives us his word, that he acts so powerfully through his word, his voice and the earth melts. And then we approach it like it's reading a poem or reading a newspaper. Lord, help us to see the encouragement in your word. In verse 7, we find what's going to be a repeated refrain. It says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So it paints this terrible picture, this terrifying picture of a city being overrun, and then it reminds us the Lord of hosts is with us. That term Lord of hosts, your translation might say Lord of armies. It's meant to show God's might, his power. He is not some fledgling God to be pushed over or to the side. I'm always astonished when I talk to people who do not know the Lord, and they either take his name in vain or speak of him as though it's just he's optional. No. He's transcendent above all of us. My life is but a vapor. I stub my toe and I'm injured. You think the Lord God who created the heavens and the earth and sustains all things would be injured by stubbing his toe? No, he's mighty. He's the Lord of armies. He, he has hosts with him. And notice what it says there, is with us. Immediately, whenever I hear God with us, I think of the term Emmanuel. And no, it's not Christmas time yet. That's usually the only time, you know, good Baptists bring up the term Emmanuel. But what it means is God with us. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who has existed eternally with the Father, Son, and Spirit, one God, three persons, came to us. Think about that for a second. <laughs> Took on flesh like ours. Came to be with us so that he could bring us back to himself. So that one day when he returns and ushers in a new heaven and a new earth, we will not flee in fear. 
we will rejoice and celebrate and say, here is our king. He is the God who is with us through all things. Often when I encourage people, you may have received a text message like this from me before. I'll let you know I've prayed for you and I'll try to end with, the Lord is with you. I don't say that to be cheesy. I don't say that because it's my catchphrase. I say that because I can't think of anything more encouraging to say. The Lord God who created you, who knows every hair on your head, who knows your sin and loves you anyway, the God who is faithful to his promises, who keeps his covenants to a thousand generations, that God is with you, whatever you're going through. You're not alone. Right after that, the verse says, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, some of you are like, your name's Jake. Is that short for Jacob? Yes. This isn't talking about me, though. So he is my God as well. The God of Jacob here is talking about the patriarchs in Genesis, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is to tell us about the God of grace, if you know who Jacob is, the God of covenant grace, the one who has chosen his people. He promised Abraham in covenant, I will bless you, will bless the nations through you. He confirms that with his son Isaac, who then has Jacob. Jacob's the deceiver, if you don't remember. He's the one who takes his brother's place, takes his birthright. And yet it's comforting because it shows us God's grace toward us. It reminds us that the God who is gracious to us is the one who is our fortress. Now this fortress is a similar word to refuge. Your translation might even say refuge again here, but it's a different word technically and this idea of fortress Derek Kidner the commentator points out that it's supposed to show an inaccessible height so think of somewhere high up and safe he keeps us from so many terrors in this world now that word fortress comes up and it's a good reminder that Psalm 46 is what inspired the reformer Martin Luther to write the hymn a mighty fortress is our God Often when he was feeling pressures from the church or was being persecuted, he would say to those with him, come let's sing the 46th. And he's talking about the song inspired by this. Let's remember God's word. Let's remember the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, let me tell you what this doesn't mean. This doesn't mean that if you're a Christian or if you become a Christian today, everything's going to work out great for you. You're going to be rich. You're going to have whatever car you want. You're going to get every promotion. If that's what you think following God is, then I would beg you to take another look at the God of the Bible who is much greater than that. We don't come to him for things that he could give us. We come to him for him. When it says he will protect us, that might mean that we face many trials. We might lose jobs. We might have broken relationships. We might be killed. But our God died and rose again. I've often heard my, my father joke, if they kill us, they can only kill us once. Some people are like, well, that's a little, little terrible. No, it's not. Not if you know Jesus. We have an eternal hope. Do you know that hope? Do you know that the Lord of hosts is with you? 
the God of Jacob is your fortress? Once again, we find Selah to stop and think about these things. In the final section, verses 8 through 11, I hope we'll see that even after the battle, the Lord will be God. But twice we've said the Lord is God, and in the future, going forward, the Lord will be God. It says in verse 8, come behold the works of the Lord. Anytime you see behold in scripture, they're saying, hey, look at it from this point of view. Take this perspective. And this section is very important because it's future facing. It's telling us the things that will be true. It's more of a promise to end these truths, okay? Why would it be important for us as Christians to have an eternal perspective in this life? Why would it be important for us to think about our future with the Lord? Does that mean that we don't care anymore about our relationships here or about our jobs here or things like that? No. Those things matter. Being a good citizen in our country matters. But if we have an eternal perspective, if we know what the end is going to be in Christ, then that's going to inform how we engage the world now. Does that make sense? It's going to affect how I love my wife. Hopefully it will give me more patience. Hopefully it will give her more patience because she needs it more than I do. Hopefully it will work. I'll be able to see that I was created to work. Did you know that Adam and Eve had responsibilities in the garden before the fall? <gasps> Work's not a punishment. Now, after the fall, work became hard and laborious. But we're made for work. We can glorify God in how we work, the quality of our work, the way we treat our employees, the way we do things the right way. Knowing this eternal perspective, saying, come behold, look at the works of the Lord, really informs our day-to-day lives. Now, in the rest of verse 8 and in verse 9, we're going to get a very serious picture, so bear with it here. It says, come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Now again, sometimes we read this and we're like, oh, it's a psalm, it's a poem, it's a flowery language. That's scary. Because this means wars are happening and the Lord is engaging in them. But he brings us back in verse 10. A famous verse many of you may know. Be still and know that I am God. I wonder how many of us have realized that God is saying those words not necessarily to his people, but to his enemies here. Look, look at the context. He's brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And then we have the words of the Lord, be still. Your translation might say cease from striving. Uh, the CSB, one of the most modern translations, just says stop fighting. He's stopping everything and saying no that I am God. Now, it's a comforting thought to say, be still. But it's also very blunt. It reminds me of Jesus' words in both Matthew and Mark when they're out on the sea, the stormy sea, and he looks out at the waves and says, peace, be still, and it's a hush. This is the same God. Only here it's a whole war going on. And he says, peace be still. And I need you to know that when the Lord speaks, he speaks authoritatively and things happen. 
It's not a suggestion. He says, peace be still, and things stop. He says, and know that I am God. Multiple times I've told you already today, remember the Lord is God. Remember the Lord is God. You know what's important for us? Because so often we try to act like we are. And there's no quicker way to discouragement than to act like I'm God or need to be in control of everything. Or to try to make a God of a spouse or a personal hero or a politician. It's good news that the Lord is God. And sometimes we just need to know that. End of verse 10. It says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Notice it says, will be. God doesn't say, I might be exalted among the nations one day. It's possible that one day will come that I'll be exalted among the nations. No, he will be. Church, we have the mission to go and make disciples of all nations. And we know how the mission is going to turn out. Isn't that great? That should give us confidence to go and proclaim the gospel, knowing the Lord's going to save people. People are going to hear the gospel and turn away from their sins and receive Christ. And even if we don't see it in our lives, we go and we plant and water that seed of the gospel over and over and over in word and deed, knowing what the end will be. One day, he will be exalted among the nations. One day, he will be exalted in the earth. That's a promise we can hold on to. That's a promise that gives us an eternal perspective that informs our now. Yes, the world is crazy, but even after the battle, the Lord will be God. Now, once again, it says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. It's this repeated refrain. And it comes right after that, be still and know that we said he's speaking to enemies or to people warring against one another, potentially against God himself, since he's the one breaking their bows and shattering their spears. But as many of us know today, if we are Christians here, that used to be us. We used to be God's enemies. And when we heard the gospel, the Holy Spirit spoke into our hearts, be still and know that I'm God. And we turned away from our sin, and we trusted in him. And church, I implore you to trust in him again today. We sing these great songs of encouragement. We're going to have the Lord's Supper to be reminded of Jesus' body and his blood Will we return to the hope that we so often have when we first become Christians? Will we be still? Will we cease from our own striving? We're looking for salvation in our own hands and how good we can be and how good we can appear. Stop striving. Stop fighting against yourself and against others and rest in the work of Jesus Christ that is finished, he says at the cross. Friend, maybe you've not turned away from your sin and trusted in the Lord. Maybe as I've talked about the Lord in these grandeur terms, this, the majesty of the Lord God, a triune God who is intimately knowable and yet beyond our understanding, maybe you want to know him. I don't understand how anyone could hear about this God and not want to. I pray that today you would at least have a conversation with Pastor Joshua or with me or with one of the church members here. They represent Christ. 
the Holy Spirit dwells in them. You can know the Lord today. You can have the hope that we have in the Lord of hosts, in the God of Jacob. You know what's great, church? All of these themes aren't just in this one chapter. They're throughout the whole Bible. This is who God is. It's not just one simple reminder that, oh yeah, God's good, by the way, kind of throw in the middle. Over and over and over again, we see words like God is our refuge, our strength, our very present help in trouble. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Why do you think that's so repeated in God's word? So that we would remember. So we remember what he's done. We remember who he is and what he's doing now. And we would look forward to what he's going to do and the fact that he will continue to reign and be good no matter what our circumstances now are. The evangelist Billy Graham once said, I've read the last page of the Bible. It's all going to turn out all right. Church, I hope that's not just something you sing. I hope that's not just something you amen. I hope it's something that deep in your heart this morning you are reminded of again and that you are encouraged that our God is a mighty fortress. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that reminds us so plainly and yet so vividly who you are and what you've done for us, what you continue to do, how you're still at work. Father, we confess that we're often discouraged. And I pray today that we would all be encouraged by the truth of the gospel and by the simple reminders of who you are. We thank you that you're with us in all circumstances. We thank you that you're good and that we can trust you. We pray that by your grace, we would trust you more, that we would have hope, whatever this year has been like for us. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace, which we so often take for granted and that we never deserve. I pray that you would very obviously to us go with us today and this week. I pray that this week we would have hope and that we would share hope with other Christians and with those who don't yet know you. For your glory, for our good, and for the good of our neighbors. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.